DiscerningHearts.com presents Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. Deacon Gutierrez studied theology at the Franciscan University of Steubenville and at the Angelicum in Rome. He holds a master's degree in theology from the University of Dallas. He has worked for the church in various capacities, including as a teacher and administrator, and is currently on the faculty of the School of Faith. His expertise includes Catholic social teaching, and his writings on the subject have appeared in several national Catholic newspapers and periodicals. He's the author of The Urging of Christ's Love, The Saints, and the Social Teaching of the Catholic Church. Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome, Omar. Thank you, Chris. Good to be back. A very important chapter is number three, the human person and human rights. There's so much involved in this understanding, isn't there? First, you have to know who the human person is, and we've, we've begun to talk about this already, uh, especially when we talk about the saints and trying to get to know who we really are, that if, if the social doctrine is about the, the human person, then it's especially important, therefore, that we know who we really are, who the human person really is, and then talk about human rights. The language of rights is relatively new uh, to human history. Why did it come about? What does it really express? And so how do we uh, approach that language as we begin to uh, talk about uh, the social teaching and, and how we can help provide the underpinning for understanding what is due to my neighbor? Why do you suppose the church found it so necessary to articulate this? Is it one of those things that it was a given for so long mm. in, the, in the life of the church? Uh, historically, the church wanted to articulate it because it was, it was being taken advantage of, because the, the world was changing. Certainly there was a sense, especially after the Industrial Revolution and the events of the 19th century, the church had an obligation to try to provide the faithful with some ways, the principles of making out what a moral life looks like in this new world of, of uh, Industrial Revolution and, and the new philosophies that denied God and, and a new politics, right, the, where um, democracy, but a certain kind of secular democracy uh, was all the rage during the 19th century. So the church felt it important to, to articulate some of these principles. When we go to 2005, which is when the Compendium of the Social Doctrine of the Church was released, it was a response to a specific call by Pope John Paul II, who was asking for a way to, a way to have Catholics really enter into the social doctrine in a meaningful way so that we could live our lives as Catholics authentically in this world. And so why, why is that important? Well, because we have a world where it's difficult to try to figure out how to be a Catholic. Because our society is so fractured and because our society is so intent upon the individual or the collective, right, depending on which extreme you're talking about, mm -hmm. um, uh, the church is trying to provide, uh, the Holy Father says that this is, we're not trying to provide a third way, but, but another way, a, a, a middle road, a human way of being in this world that constantly presents us with ideas and notions and images that are, that are inhuman. In this section, it articulates the importance of our understanding that the human person is created in the image of God. The approach of Christianity to this is, is crucial to understand, and, and this is partly why the Church feels it needs to articulate this, because there is so much misunderstanding. The first truth we get out of this is, is really not self-evident. You know, our, our founding fathers said these, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, 
That's not self-evident at all. And endowed by the creator. And endowed by the creator, et cetera, et cetera. That's not at all self-evident. When you look at the history of human, Aristotle, for instance, talks about how men are not created equally, how they're different classes of men. Um, the, this is not self-evident truth. And so when we have a, a faith, a religion, at the beginning of this chapter on the human person, it says that uh, the human person is made in the imago Dei, in the image of God. That says something, that all of us are created with a specific image, one of a divine image. That does uh, one thing to sort of unify all of humanity so that, yes, we all are equal. We are equal. We are our brother's nature. It also um, helps elevate human nature, right, to give us a certain dignity by virtue of the fact that, uh, that we are humans. And it also helps us understand that um, we achieve this unity and this dignity by virtue of being, not because of we can do something or because we have something or because we look in a certain way, but because of the very nature, the ontology, if you want to do the philosophical language, the, the, the stuff of what we are, that is where our dignity lies, not in action, not in function. Th- that approach to the human person that the church offers here right from the bat in this chapter 3, mm-hmm. which has been part of the church's teaching for centuries, you know, since the beginning, this is going to shape then how we approach uh, the social teaching and, and the, the nature of the human person and the rest of it. And, and that's important because of things like the, the Darwinian approach to society, wherein, right, Darwin's argument is we will eventually begin to breed humans as we breed any other animal. These are the ideas that help foment notions of, of the uh, uh, eugenics uh, and of, of uh, the better classes and better races of people curing social ills through, through genetic modification. All of this comes from these, these notions that, that aren't rooted in Christianity that go against this fundamental notion that we're, we're made equal by virtue of what we are and not because we have certain genes. That understanding that we're created in the image of God is so fundamental and so important for us to truly hold in our hearts as our creed. Yeah. This is who we are, that we, are, we believe we are created in the image of God. That when we have discussions with coworkers, uh, maybe even other family members, if they don't believe that fundamental fact, it's going to be very difficult to have any type of discussion and have them understand us and possibly us understand them. Oh, most definitely. When we come to social discussions. Oh, absolutely. And that's absolutely true. And it also applies to um, you know, the spiritual life, which again, when we talk about the social doctrine, we want to just kind of go back to that. Um, if, if you can't believe, if you have a hard time believing that you're a beloved of God, that you are made in the Hindu image of likeness, which is a sign of his, God's love for us, if, if you can't come to that realization, if you can't, can't be at the forefront of your mind, you, you can't have that relationship with God, not a true, honest one, because you're lying to yourself. You're allowing the devil perhaps to lie to you or you're buying into the lie that's been told you that you're not lovable or that there's a a barrier, an insurmountable barrier between you and God. No, this teaching about being made in the image and likes of God helps us understand that our spiritual life has to be rooted in that and that that's the key then to be able to see the other. If we can't see it in ourselves, we can't, we're not going to be able to see it in the other, at the workplace, in our own families, uh, in those difficult moments. And there are difficult people in the world, but, but that's the radicalness, really, of this teaching, is that they, too, are made in the image like this. They, too, have dignity. They, too, are your brother and sister. Uh, and that's, that's what's real. We have to think outside of ourselves. Yeah. And that's the challenge, because we do live in a society, in a country, that lifts up the rugged individual. We can isolate 
ourselves from an understanding that it's not just about us. God created me in the image of God, yes, but as you said, he created the person that's next to me and the other person. And, and well, in fact, everyone we meet is created in that same image. So not only am I called to love them, I also have to realize that the negative things I do, the things that are harmful, even if I feel I'm doing them to myself, it does affect those around me. Yeah. No, that's true. The, the, there's a, a great section here in the Compendium uh, uh, 112 where it says, Man and woman are in relationship with others above all as those to whom the lives of others have been entrusted. Everyone's life has been entrusted to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a teaching that comes from Pope John Paul II. In this perspective, the relationship with God requires that the life of man be considered sacred and inviolable, and on and on. So this this connection we have with others uh, is is part of the what we understand to be part of this image and likeness of God. And so if, if I, I was sort of picking up on what you were saying, this then calls into question, or we have to then look at wh- where are those aspects in our lives where we fail to recognize our responsibility for the life of the other. In other words, sin. Where, where, where in our lives are we, are we succumbing to sin? We are the body of Christ. Yes. So if I am somehow damaging myself through my sin, I am, as a member of this body, even to the smallest degree, by the choices that I make, could inflict a cancerous action on the body of Christ. So it's no longer just my own personal sin that I've made a choice. Even if it harms me, it ultimately will harm the body of Christ for which I'm a member. Right, exactly. And that... That, that's a very important thing to understand, and, and it's actually uh, doctrinal. I mean, this is, this is one of the great things that I love about the Catholic faith and, and especially the social teaching is that uh, we can see um, shot throughout the social teaching um, the principles, the, the themes that we find in the Church's other teachings and sacramentality and ecclesiology and, and, and the saints and the rest of it. And what you just articulated, what you just articulated is, uh, is the fundamental teaching for why we go to confession, Time and time again, I know so many Catholics um, who, who won't go to confession because, hey, God knows I'm sorry, and it's between me and, and, and God, and, and that's all there is. But what they forget, of course, is the fact that personal sin affects society. This is not something just particular to Christianity. This is actually the, a very Jewish, uh, Semitic way of understanding sin as well as a sort of a social sin. Um, so even our private sins that we commit in the privacy of our own home, those have effects on the rest of the world. And uh, because of that, when we, we're, we're drawn, we're, we must run to confession because we don't just have to say sorry to God. We have to say sorry to the church. We have to say sorry to our fellow man. We have to say sorry to the society. This is why in the, old, in the early days of the church, confession was public. You can you confessed publicly if you had done something. So if you had committed a, a serious sin, you would stand outside of the, the church on, on Sunday uh, or the house church on Sunday as Christians were coming by with a sign around your neck confessing the, the sin publicly because it affects everybody. It does. But the point is that we, we go to the Father in the confessional or to be able to, through the Father, say to the rest of the body of Christ— because he sits there, of course, in the person of Christ, in persona Christi, to say to the rest of the body of Christ, I'm sorry. 
It's only in that way are we able then to truly uh, say sorry for our sin because we recognize by just saying sorry that this sin that I've committed is not just a sin against God, but is in fact a sin against my neighbor, even if they're totally unaware of it. And of course, it's a sin against myself, right? It's a violation. It's a, it's a death I've, I've brought upon myself. So there's these, these two aspects of sin, um, this, this personal aspect, and we don't want to eliminate that, and we need to talk about that some more, but there's also this, this aspect of a social aspect of sin, which is just as real and is part of the Church's broader teaching. In God's grace, in his great economy, he never wastes a drop. Right. That in that action of our contrition, of our atoning for that through the action of that penance, he also reciprocates in the healing of our natures, in our soul, as the saints have so beautifully chronicled it in their writings, that it is the precious blood that was poured out for us on the cross. Mm. That great healing, in a very mystical way, begins to heal that cancer in ourselves by getting at the root of why do we do the things that we do. (laughs) I don't want to, as St. Paul said. He does the things he doesn't want to do. Why is that? But it aids in our own bringing to wholeness. It helps us come into holiness mm-hmm. through that action of confession and getting to the nature of that sin. Exactly. And it's, and this is, again, why and I've said it before, I'll say it again, and I'll say it many more times, that when we talk about the social teaching of the Church, we cannot forget um, that in the process of living it out, you have to stay close to Mother Church. You have to live the sacramental life. You can't possibly trust, I, I would argue, I think the saints do as well, uh, you can't possibly trust your own conscience, you can't possibly trust your own judgment if that judgment, your, that conscience is clouded right, by the stain of sin and by the, by, by the temptations of, uh, and bad habits and vices that we engage in. So part of living social justice, living the social teaching of the Church, is by getting back to the sacrament of confession by being honest with ourselves about what the roots of those sins are so that we can better live our own lives and so therefore be that much more open to the movement of the Spirit that will be calling us to love our neighbor in a particular way. In the compendium, when they talk about the the tragedy of sin, uh, it's also important to understand that when we talk about the, the human dignity of the human person, there's a temptation to to believe, and it's a very strong temptation these days, that uh, we're okay. I'm okay, you're okay, and that's all there is to it. This is, I think, one of the reasons why the sacrament of confession is so seldom taken advantage of, um, because the society sort of tells us, you're okay. You're a decent fellow. You're not going around murdering people, so that you're an okay guy. Well, without any kind of sense of sin, authentic real sin or failure in our lives— um, then, as as uh, the late John uh, uh, Newhouse used to say, Richard John Newhouse used to say, um, if there is no sin, then we need no Savior. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so then where are we as a Christian? We need to be honest with ourselves about what that real sin is and recognize that that's, that is honestly a part of our lives so that we can tackle it and move on. The both and, of course, here with the Church, as, as always, is that it's not just a personal sin, but it is also a social sin. We'll return to Regnum Novum with Omar Gutierrez in just a moment. Did you know that you can obtain a free app 
which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs, Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages, can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. The Memorari Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly to thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. If you have been blessed in some way by the spiritual nourishment and teachings offered freely by all those involved with Discerning Hearts programs, please consider a positive review for the various programs on the iTunes and Google Play stores. This is a great way to help the ministry and is an encouragement to others who are seeking the best in spiritual formation to find and check out the programs. Won't you please help? It's an easy way to help give back and to be a part of the mission. Thank you, and God bless from all at Discerning Hearts. We now return to Regnum Novum with Omar Gutierrez. When we talk about social sin, that's an area as well that is it gotten so muddy that <laughs> the the professed Catholic who is called to be out and to be able to give a reason for your hope, to be able to give an explanation of your faith, they don't know how to go there. They right. just, okay, I know what I'm going to do in my house and I'll take care of my kids. Unfortunately, we need more than that even today, don't we? We do. Social teaching starts in the home with the family. But notice I said starts there. Mm-hmm. Um, it has to be rooted there, has to start there. But as the Blessed John Paul II said in the letter of the families of Finlaris Consortio, he also said, he says, the family is by its very nature evangelical, at least it ought to be. It should lead out into the world, especially the sense of love. So so the sense of maintaining my own personal space and, and sort of shutting off my obligations to the rest of the world and eschewing this notion of social sin is, is part of the problem of our society, I think, particularly in America. Um, But there's another extreme here, too, and that is to emphasize social sin too much. There are those, uh, and this is one of those aspects about the social teaching that I think is widely misunderstood. Uh, There are those who who teach the social justice teaching of the Church who only see social sin. There is no such thing as personal sin. All sin is social. So my particular stealing something else, somebody's something else, is not a result of my poor choice or my own sin, but because society is such that's put me in a position to want to steal. So therefore, I'm absolved of any real sin. It's actually society's fault. That's one aspect of the social sin. Another aspect of the social sin uh, that exists is, um, let's say, let's take racism, for instance. Mm -hmm. 
unfortunately, in some <clears throat> books on racism, very seldom do we actually talk about personal racism. More often than not, they talk about structural racism, structural sins around racism. And so the argument is, it doesn't matter whether or not you actually are a racist or are not a racist. What really matters is whether or not you are working to overthrow the system that perpetuates poverty amongst persons of color, the African-American community, the Latino community, etc. That's the, the real thing. And so battling sin for the church must mean, can only mean, battling the social structures. When that starts to be the paradigm, and unfortunately that is the paradigm in some theologies of, of social justice, then we've ignored the sacrament of confession here. We've ignored that relationship with Jesus. No longer are we talking about salvation, personal salvation, or, or our own entrance into heaven. Now we're talking solely about political theology. And that's what happens when you focus only on social sin. It makes the person who is culpable in the personal sin, they either use or the excuse is given to them of a victimization, mm-hmm. that I am a victim and I have no control over this bad behavior because this is the way I was formed and so I am not responsible or culpable in my action. There is a sincere danger mm. in that mindset. Oh, yeah. Isn't there? Oh, yes. No, I mean, that's just, this is, I, th- I think, where so many of the roots of our societal ills are, where uh, uh, I am not to blame really for anything that I've done, which is why th- there's no point in me going to confessions, because what am I going to talk about? I can tell you priests who, who would say that, you know, somebody comes to confession and, and, and the person on the other side of the grill says, you know, I don't know uh, what to say, Father. I, I think I'm a pretty good person. And that's it. That's their confession. They just want to come in and kind of talk about things generally. That's rampant, unfortunately. Let's play out a couple of examples sure. for folks. An example of, and I'll pull it from my own history. Mm-hmm. I'll bear witness to <laughs> my brothers and sisters out there. In the area of contraception, mm-hmm. there was a time when even within the church, I was encouraged to take contraception, and I had no idea, really, that it was a wrong. Yeah. And there was even a, a point where I could, I would go to see a particular priest. They would agree with me in that action, even though I'm, I'm, at this point I'm married. Mm-hmm. We are in an economic structure where we're doing very well. Mm-hmm. And there's no reason why I shouldn't be doing this. I didn't appreciate the the damage it was doing to me by choosing. Yeah. It would eventually, I would understand the sin of it. Yeah. Not so much that I considered myself an evil person or a bad person, but I had to come to that understanding of the damage and the split that it was doing in not only my own life and my relationship with with God, but also the damage it was doing in that ripple effect with my husband, Mm -hmm. with my children, Mm -hmm. and then the greater world I was in. Would you say that's a fair example of that that lack of understanding or appreciation of the personal and how it also became a social sin? Oh, absolutely. No, I, I think that happens in, in various ways in, in everybody's life at some point in time. I, first of all, we're sometimes we're not aware that of the personal sin at all, and then we become aware of it. And then once we become aware of the personal sin and we start being honest about it with ourselves, it's only then that we see 
the social repercussions. Uh, and that's a, this is a reality, I think, that's part of the human nature. This is why the compendium talks about it in this section. We're talking about the human person. We're talking about the image and likeness of God, the dignity of the human person. But we also have to be real about that. The both and of the church is always, let's, let's look at both of them, honestly. And, and sin is a part of this. As we've just said, with the image of God, we, because we all are made in the image and likeness of God, we're connected. And if that's true, uh, then when we sin, even if it privately, even if it's within our own bedroom, even if it's within our family, even if right, uh, my conscience tells me it's okay, even then, it's still social sin. It's still affecting you. It's still personal sin. And this is the, the aspect of, of conscience that, that, that doesn't, and we'll talk about that at some, later on, but, but this is part of the truth of who we really are as human persons and part of the healing we need as persons, as human persons, as sinners, which is why the spiritual life and the sacramental life has to be part of how we live that out with the social teaching. The great gift in a good confessor and that reception of the sacrament of reconciliation, it took time for me to come to terms not only with the action that was occurring, that I was allowing to occur, but why I felt I needed it, why I needed to have that control, and what was preventing me from entering into the deeper relationship of loving relationship, not only with my husband, but with God. Yeah, right. And once that process went through, I feel as though he made, at least in that area of my life, whole. Yeah. And that's the challenge because it's so much easier just to say, but this is what I want to do. And, I, and not to go into that period of truly what it is of that reconciliation. Right. And we recognize in your example, for instance, if someone were trying to, to deal with the sin of contraception or the sin of the, the contraceptive mentality, we realize the, the strangeness, I'm going to say, of trying to fix that problem by means of legislation. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we could make contraceptives illegal again, but that sin is still going to be there personally and socially. So as the compendium says, you can fix structures. I mean, you can, but you can't cure, you can't heal social sin or personal sin by fixing structures. Mm-hmm. Um, so the method, therefore, that's unfortunately suggested or demanded uh, by some social justice teachers of going first toward the social sin or or social structures or uh, fixing those. There's a a Protestant author, Walter Wink, who's very big on social justice and nonviolence, and he he says that we cannot cannot find salvation unless the structures are are healed. Mm. Um, So he's actually turned it opposite, where um, salvation comes only through solving social sin, mm. and you solve social th- sin through structures. Um, applying that to situations like the one you just gave right. uh, obviously seems, seems crazy. So why is, do we think it would, it would work with uh, racism or work with uh, economic problems or, or poverty, etc.? In my particular situation, too, it didn't come from somebody pounding on something, telling me how bad I was for right, doing something. Right, yeah. It took someone presenting to me the situation, and then it was because of my reception of the, of the Eucharist and time in prayer did I then, in a very real loving way, I want to say, God himself 
helped to turn this heart of stone mm-hmm, on this issue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it, in there were tears, and there was some pain yeah. in coming to uh, uh, to deal with those wounds that had caused that breach so long ago. Mm. But th- that, I think, is the journey. It's that conversion. More happens with conversion as opposed to compulsion. Yes, yeah, there, right. There is a difference, isn't Absolutely. there? Absolutely, absolutely. And that's what we were... That, that's what the social teaching is asking uh, of us is is to be open to that conversion because it comes from from the interior. It comes from that relationship with Jesus Christ. And we'll go back to the very first episodes of this series, and, and that is when you're looking at the principles of the social teaching, the very first one has to be Christ Jesus, the relationship with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you don't have that, then the rest is is useless. But But go to confession and ask yourself as you're examining your conscience, and if you do this every night, good, good, and that's a great spiritual practice. But look at those areas in your life where you fail to recognize the image of God in the other. Where are those image points in your life where you've lashed out, whether it's yelling at your kids because they're not doing something, or whether it's, it's the, the, the bad thought about a coworker or, or, or justifying some sort of gossip or whatever. Where is that in your life? And, and recognize that that's a failure of social justice. We need not think about these grand ideas of poverty, you know, and immigration reform and healthcare, or whatever. It's happening. Social justice, the social teaching is every day. So, where are those aspects in our life now uh, where that's problematic? And and take those to confession. I would say you agree with Cardinal Timothy Dolan, who said, really, the sacrament for the new evangelization is confession. Absolutely, and that's why this is called the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching. Thank you so much, Elmar. You're welcome, Chris. You've been listening to Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez.